Chapter Five of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peedy. Chapter Five. A fortnight later, she was established as an officer of the Children's Protective Association, an organization with a self-explanatory name, instituted by women and chiefly supported by them. She was given an inexhaustible task: police powers headquarters at hull house and a vocation demanding enough to satisfy even her desire for spiritual adventure it was her business to adjust the lives of children which meant that she adjusted their parents lives also she arranged the disarranged played the providential part exercising the powers of intervention which in past times belonged to the priest but which, in the days of commercial feudalism, devolve upon the social workers. Her work carried her into the lowest strata of society, and her compassion, her efficiency, and her courage were daily called upon. Perhaps she might have found herself lacking in the required measure of these qualities, being so young and inexperienced, had it not been that she was in a position to concentrate completely upon her task she knew how to listen and learn she knew how to read and apply she went into her new work with a humble spirit and this humility offset whatever was aggressive and militant in her the death of her mother and the aloofness of her father had turned all her ardors back upon herself they found vent now in her new work and she was not long in perceiving that she needed those whom she was called upon to serve quite as much as they needed her mrs barcelow and marna carton who had been shopping met kate one day crossing the city with a baby in her arms and two miserable little children clinging to her skirts hunger and neglect had given these poor small derelicts that indescribable appearance of depletion and shame which once seen is never to be confused with anything else my goodness cried mrs barcelow glowering at kate through her veil what sort of work is this you are doing miss barrington aren't you afraid of becoming infected with some dreadful diseases wherever do you find the fortitude to be seen in the company of such wretched little creatures i would like to help them myself but i'd never be willing to carry such filthy little bags of misery around with me kate smiled cheerfully we've just put their mother in the bridewell she said and their father is in the police station awaiting trial the poor dears are going to be clean for once in their lives and have a good supper in the bargain maybe they'll be taken into good homes eventually they're lovely children really you haven't looked at them closely enough mrs barcelow i'm just as close as i want to be thank you said the lady drawing back involuntarily but she reached for her purse and gave kate a bill would this help toward getting them something she asked marna laughed delightedly i'm sure they're treasures she said mayn't i help miss barrington take them to wherever they're going tante i shan't catch a thing and i love to know what becomes of homeless children kate saw a look of acute distress in mrs barcelow's face this isn't your game just now miss carton kate said in her downright manner it's mine i'm moving my pawns here and there trying to find the best places for them it's quite exhilarating her arms were aching, and she moved the heavy baby from one side to the other. "'A game, is it?' asked the Irish girl. "'And who wins?' 
the children i hope i'm on the side of the children first and last oh, so am i and i think it's just magnificent of you to help them kate disclaimed the magnificence you mustn't forget that i'm doing it for money she said it's my job i hope i'll do it well enough to win the reputation of being honest but you mustn't think there's anything saintly about me because there isn't good-bye hold on tight children she nodded cheerfully and moved on fresh strong determined along the crowded thoroughfare the people making way for her smilingly she saw nothing of the attention paid her she was wondering if her arms would hold out or if in some unguarded moment the baby would slip from them perhaps the baby was fearful too for it reached up its little claw-like hands and clasped her tight about the neck kate liked the feeling of those little hands and was sorry when they relaxed and the weary little one fell asleep each day brought new problems if she could have decided these by mere rule of common sense her new vocation might not have puzzled her as much as it did but it was uncommon superfine intuitive sense that was required she discovered for example that not only was sin a virtue in disguise but that a virtue might be degraded into a sin she put this case to honora and david one evening as the three of them sat in honora's drawing-room it's the case of peggy dunn she explained peggy likes life she has brighter eyes than she knows what to do with and more smiles than she has a chance to distribute she has finished her course at the parochial school and she's clerking in a downtown store that is slow going for peggy so she evens things out by attending the saturday night dances when she's whirling around the dance hall on the tips of her toes she really feels like herself she goes home about two in the morning on these occasions and finds her mother waiting up for her and kneeling before a little statue of the virgin that stands in the corner of the sitting-room as soon as the mother sees peggy she pounces on her and weeps on her shoulder and after peggy's in bed and dead with the tire in her legs her mother gets down beside the bed and prays some more what would you do please says peggy to me if you had a mother that kept crying and praying every time you had a little bit of fun wouldn't you run away from home and get where they took things easier david threw back his head and roared in sympathetic commendation of peggy's point of view poor little mother said honora i suppose she'll send her girl straight on the road to perdition and never know what did it not if i can help it said kate i don't believe in letting her go to perdition at all i went around to see the mother and i put the responsibility on her every time you make peggy laugh i said you can count it for glory every time you make her swear for she does swear you can know you've blundered why don't you give her some parties if you don't want her going out to them how did she take that asked honora it bothered her a good deal at first but when i went down to meet peggy the other day as she came out of the store she told me her mother had had the little bisque virgin moved into her own bedroom and that she had put a talking machine in the place where it had stood i told peggy the talking machine is just a new kind of prayer meant to make her happy and that it wouldn't do for her to let her mother's prayers go unanswered any one with eyes like yours i said to her is bound to have bow in plenty but you've only one mother and you'd better hang on to her then what did she say demanded the interested honora she's an impudent little piece she said you've some eyes yourself miss barrington 
but I suppose you know how to make them behave. Better marry that girl as soon as you can, Miss Barrington, counseled David. That is, if any hymenial authority is vested in you. That's what Peggy wanted to know, admitted Kate. She said to me the other day, ain't you Cupid, Miss Barrington? I heard about a match you made, and it was all right, the real thing, sure enough. Have you a job for me, supposing I was Cupid? I asked. That set her off in a gale. So I suppose there's something up Peggy's very short sleeves. The Fulhams liked to hear the stories, particularly as she kept the amusing or the merely pathetic ones for them, refraining from telling them of the unspeakable obscene tragedies which daily came to her notice. It might have been supposed that scenes such as these would so have revolted her that she could not endure to deal with them, but this was far from being the case. The greater the need for her help, the more determined was she to meet the demand. She had plenty of superiors whom she could consult, and she suffered less from disgust or timidity than any one could have supposed possible. The truth was, she was grateful for whatever absorbed her and kept her from dwelling upon that dehumanized house at Silvertree. Her busy days enabled her to fight her sorrow very well, but in the night, like a wailing child, her longing for her mother awoke and she nursed it, treasuring it as those freshly bereaved often do. The memory of that little frustrated soul made her tender of all women, and too prone, perhaps, to lay to some man the blame of their shortcomings. She had no realization that she had set herself in this subtle and unconscious way against men, but whether she admitted it or not, the fact remained that she stood with her sisters, whatever their estate, leagued secretly against the other sex. By way of emphasizing her devotion to her work, she ceased answering Ray McRae's letters. She studiously avoided the attention of men she met at the settlement house and at Mrs. Dennison's caravansary. Sometimes, without her realizing it, her thoughts took on an almost morbid hue, so that looking at Honora with her chaste, kind, uplifted face, she resented her close association with her husband. It seemed offensive that he, with his curious, half-restrained excess of temperament, should have domination over her friend, who stood so obviously for abnegation. David manifestly was averse to bounds and limits. All that was wild and desirous of adventure in Kate informed her of like qualities in this man. But she held, and meant always to hold, the restless falcons of her spirit in leash. Would David Fulham do as much? She could not be quite sure, and instinctively she avoided anything approaching intimacy with him. He was her friend's husband. Friend's husband was a sort of limbo into which men were dropped by scrupulous ladies. So Kate decided with a frown at herself for having even thought that David could wish to emerge from that nondescript place of spiritual residence. Anyway, she did not completely like him, though she thought him extraordinary and stimulating, and when Honora told her something of the great discovery which the two of them appeared to be upon the verge of making concerning the germination of life without parental interposition, she had little doubt that David was wizard enough to carry it through. He would have the daring, and Honora the industry, and she reflected, if renown came, that would be David's beyond all peradventure. No question about it. 
Kate's thoughts were satiric these days. She was still bleeding from the wound which her father had inflicted, and she did not suspect that it was wounded affection rather than hurt self-respect which was tormenting her. She only knew that she shrank from men, and that at times she liked to imagine what sort of a world it would be if there were no men in it at all. Meantime, she met men every day, and whether she was willing to admit it or not, the facts were that they helped her on her way with brotherly goodwill, and as they saw her going about her singular and heavy tasks, they gave her their silent good wishes, and hoped that the world of pain and shame would not too soon destroy what was gallant and trustful in her. But here has been much anticipation. To go back to the beginning, at the end of the first week in the city, she had a friend. It was Marna Carton. They had fallen into the way of talking together a few minutes before or after dinner, and Kate would hasten her modest dinner toilet in order to have these few marginal minutes with this palpitating young creature who moved to unheard rhythms, and whose laughter was the sweetest thing she had ever heard in a city of infinite dissonances. "'You don't know how to account for me very well, do you?' taunted Marna daringly, when they had indulged their inclination for each other's society for a few days. You wonder about me because I am streaked. I suppose you see vestiges of the farm girl peeping through the operatic student. Wouldn't you like me to explain myself? She had an iridescent personality, made up of sudden shynesses, of bright flashes of bravado, of tenderness and hauteur, and she contrived to be fascinating in all of them. She held Kate as the ancient mariner held the wedding guest. Of course, I'd love to know all about you answered Kate. Inquisitiveness is the most marked of my characteristics, but I don't want you to tell me any more than I deserve to hear. You deserve everything, cried Marna, seizing Kate's firm hand in her own soft one, because you understand friendship. Why, I always said it could be as swift and surprising as love and just as mysterious. You take it that way, too, so you deserve a great deal. Well, to begin with, I'm Irish, Kate's laugh could be heard as far as the kitchen, where Mrs. Dennison was wishing the people would come so that she could dish up the soup. Marna laughed, too. You guessed it, she said. She didn't seem to think it so obvious as Kate's laugh indicated. You don't leave a thing to the imagination in that direction, cried Kate. Irish, as Irish as the shamrock, go on. Dear me, I want to begin so far back. You see, I don't merely belong to modern Ireland. I'm, well, I'm traditional. At least my great-grandfather Carton, who came over to Wisconsin with a company of immigrants, could tell you things about our ancestors that would make you feel as if we came out of the Irish hills. And great-grandfather, he actually looked legendary himself. Why do you know he came over with these people to be their storyteller? Their storyteller? Yes, just that they're minstrel you understand and that's what my people were way back minstrels all the way over on the ship when the people were weeping for homesickness or sitting dreaming about the new land or falling sick or getting wild and vicious it was great granddaddy's place to bring them to themselves with his stories then when they all went on to wisconsin and took up their land 
they selected a small beautiful place for great-grandfather and built him a log house and helped him with his crops he for his part went over the countryside and was welcomed everywhere and carried all the friendly news and gossip he could gather and sat about the fire nights telling tales of the old times and keeping the ancient stories in the ancient tongue alive for them you mean he used the gaelic what else would he be using and himself the descendant of minstrels but after a time he learned the english too and he used that in his latter years because the understanding of the gaelic began to die out how wonderful he must have been wonderful for eighty years he held sway over the hearts of them and was known as the best storyteller of them all this was the more interesting you see because every year they gathered at a certain place to have a story-telling contest and great-grandfather was voted the master of them until marna hesitated and a flush spread over her face until urged kate until a young man came along finnegan his name was he was no more than a commercial traveler who heard of the gathering and came up there and he capped stories with great-grandfather and it went on till all the people were thick about them like bees about a flower-pot four days it lasted and away into the night and in the end they took the prize from great-grandfather and gave it to jerley finnegan and that broke great-grandad's heart he died yes he died a hundred and ten he was and for eighty years had been the king of them when he was gone it left me without anybody at all you see so that was how i happened to go down to baraboo to earn my living what were you doing marna looked at the tip of her slipper for a moment reflectively then she glanced up at kate throwing a supplicating glance from the blue eyes which looked as if they were sneered behind their long dark lashes i wouldn't be telling everybody that asked me she said but i was singing at the moving picture show and mrs barcelot came in there and heard me then she asked me to live with her and to go to europe and i did and she paid for the best music lessons for me everywhere and now she hesitated drawing in a long breath then she arose and stood before kate breathing deep and looking like a shining butterfly free of its chrysalis and ready to spread its emblazoned wings yes bright one cried kate glowing with admiration what now why now you know i'm to go in opera the manager of the chicago opera company has been mrs barlow's friend these many years and she has had him try out my voice and he likes it he says he doesn't care if i haven't had the usual amount of training because i'm really born to sing you see perhaps that's my inheritance from the old minstrels for they chanted their ballads and epics didn't they anyway i really can sing and i'm to make my debut this winter in madame butterfly just think of that oh i love puccini i can understand a musician like that a man who makes music move like thoughts flurrying this way and blowing that it's to be very soon my debut and then i can make up to mrs barcelot for all she's done for me oh there come all the people you mustn't let mrs fulham know how i've chattered i wouldn't dare talk about myself like that before her this is just for you i knew you wanted to know about me 
I want to know all about you, too. Oh, said Kate, you mustn't expect me to tell my story. I'm different from you. I'm not born for anything in particular. I've no talents to point out my destiny. I keep being surprised and frustrated. It looks to me as if I were bound to make mistakes. There's something wrong with me. Sometimes I think that I'm not womanly enough, that there's too much of the man in my disposition, and that the two parts of me are always going to struggle and clash. Chairs were being drawn up to the table. Come, said Dr. von Schierbrand. Can't you young ladies take time enough to eat? He looked ready for conversation, and Kate went smilingly to sit beside him. She knew he expected women to be amusing, and she found it agreeable to divert him. She understood the classroom fag from which he was suffering, and moreover, after all the austere meals with her father, it really was an excitement and pleasure to talk with an amiable and complimentary man. End of chapter 5